0: always depended on the kindness of strangers. All right, so he's not a regular rat, or, or even a super rat. He's just a scared little mouse, that's all. welcome to the next episode of the Real Woman Podcast, focused on all things cinematic. My guest today is Stephen Levine. Stephen uh, has been obsessed with movies since childhood and has gone on to write numerous essays, including assessments on Woody Allen and Mike Lee, the history of A Star is Born, and an appraisal of Vanessa Redgrave. However, it is his film classes for children that he's most proud of. He's taught children courses in silent film, foreign film, adventure, animation, and musical films. And it's his focus on musicals that we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Uh, So the movies we've chosen today, we'll go through them chronologically. The first one is... The Wizard of Oz, from 1939, yeah. and this is one of your favorite movies. Uh, just a brief for the for the one or two people who are not familiar with The Wizard of Oz. Uh, it was done in 1939. Stars Judy Garland as Dorothy Gale from Kansas, who with her dog Toto gets swept up in a tornado and lands in the land of Oz. Uh, And we meet a whole cast of characters, the Munchkins and the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wicked Witch of the East and the Good Witch. Uh, So is this a, why is this one of your favorite films? Let's start with that.
1: Well, when I was four, it was on television the first time. And I, have a vague memory of sitting there in my little rocking chair, crying my eyes out because I was so scared of the witch. And then for years and years and years, I wouldn't watch it. And finally, I think I was about 12, and I finally sat down with the family and watched it. And it is just an incredibly magical film. There is so much depth and so much beauty in it. And why do you now? What
0: age range child um, were, did you show this film to? Did you teach this
1: film? Oh well, I taught this every year in my um, in well, mostly when I taught third grade, so seventh and or seven, eight, nine, probably eight, nine. Uh, I read the book to them, and we did a comparison between the movie and the book, which are pretty much different. There's a yeah. lot of lot more yeah there's a lot more in the book than there is in the movie um and uh the, the brilliance of it is of course that the Kansas scenes are in black and white, and the uh, scenes are in color. but when he describes um Kansas in the book, he's actually describing North Dakota, really, yes because that's where he wound up and um His mother-in-law evidently told him that... uh, And this is L. Frank Baum, correct? This is L. Frank Frank Baum, yes. His mother-in-law was the one who convinced him to write down the stories that he was telling to the children. And one day he noticed that his file cabinet had a, a drawer that said O2Z, and that's how Oz came about.
0: Yeah, it was just kind of random like that. I remember reading that. that you, you, Absolutely. You sort of want to think that it came out of his imagination, but it was just serendipitous.
1: Yes, exactly. And uh, the, he wound up writing, I believe, 15 of the books. I think there are 31. Okay, okay. Um, and... Uh, and there, I, I believe. I, well, I
0: know I read the first one. Uh, my mom, I believe, read the the first one to me when I was, you know, three or four.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: And but I'm not. I I think I may have read the second one, but I know I did
1: not read all fifteen or thirty. No, I haven't either. I have read the first two, and then I skipped ahead because I just by happenstance found the silent film version of the patchwork girl of oz on youtube and i watched it baum created a film company in about 1914 the
0: oz film company right
1: the oz film company yes and uh one of them was the patchwork girl of oz which is utterly delightful oh that's good good to know i'll check it out yeah, it's you know it's a silent film and of course for 1914-15 it's clumsy but it's a lot of fun to watch and um a few years ago I dramatized the book for the stage And my my friend's summer theater did it outside, and it was just a fun, fun show to do. So how, um, what was the reaction in general
0: by by these seven- and eight-year-olds when they watched The Wizard of Oz? Had any of them seen
1: it before? A lot of them had not. Uh, It's amazing how many movies I turned the kids on to that they had never seen before. Because basically, like, One of the the, um, statements that I got early in my teaching career in film was, I want to see such and such. And I said, well, those you can get at the video store. You're going to see stuff you've never heard of. You're going to get to see stuff that's in black and white. You're going to get to see classics. And it was astounding what their reaction was. The overall favorite movie I taught. Surprisingly, was Jean Cocteau's 1946 "La Belle et la Bette. which
0: is beautiful. generally and the Beast, had to right?
1: show, Yes, I generally had to show it twice because wow. they liked it so much. And yeah, I bet, and I could to... see people thinking that they wouldn't,
0: that they wouldn't like it, or they wouldn't, you know, want to
1: read subtitles or. Well, that's the thing when I when I opted to show them Steamboat Bill Jr. with. Um, Buster Keaton, they said, oh, they won't like it. They said, oh, the kids won't like uh, the African Queen. They went nuts. They loved him because this is stuff they'd never seen before. You
0: know, and I had a similar situation. I um, uh, taught a film course one summer many years ago, but I, this, these were older kids, these were high school kids, and Mm -hmm. I was going to show Rebel Without a a Cause, and I was told, you know, in no uncertain terms to really not even show that movie, they weren't going to like it.
1: Uh Uh,
0: These were, you know, high school kids in the Bronx that were taking like a sort of college prep type of course, and Uh I ignored them, and I showed it, and they loved it because i thought everyone understands teen angst it doesn't matter where you live or who you grow up around every teenager has angst <laughs> and 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 you know issues and boyfriend issues and girlfriend issues and so i think that um i feel like people often underestimate kids and what they're really capable of of understanding and appreciating
1: i completely agree with you completely and like one of the ones they loved to watch with me was captains courageous with spencer tracy and freddie bartholomew because they knew at the end of the movie i would be in tears right. because i was tw- i was 20 years old the first time i saw that and i saw it in a film class lights came up at the end and the entire class was crying because of that beautiful ending
0: yeah yeah Um, So just so we don't veer off too much, um, so The Wizard of Oz, you know, it was just voted recently the most influential film of all time. Isn't that fabulous? It really is, and it was based on, you know, it wasn't based on box office or anything like that. It was actually based on the influence that it has had on culture, like how many other spinoffs or how many other Movies or TV shows have referenced it, and yes. and it was like scores and scores of other movies and TV shows over the years have mentioned you know we're not in Kansas anymore or you know Toto To <laughs> or you know there are just so many there's so many I think you know when you think of movies that have classic lines, most people think of Casablanca, which it definitely yes. has it definitely has but Wizard of Oz has is one of the most quotable movies.
1: Oh yes, oh yes. Um, I have I, the first time I saw it um, saw it on a screen. I was in college, and they had shown it. was supposed to be shown outside, but it was raining, so they put it in the big one of the big dining spaces in in the student center, and they showed it. And there was a girl sitting next to me, and she knew every line. It was amazing how influential that is. And to see it on the screen and to actually approach, to look and see how beautiful it is in color and the magnificent detail.
0: Yeah, I think yeah.
1: That, I think Cedric Gibbons, I think, was the set decorator. And, oh, my goodness, the little things you see in it.
0: Yes, and that's something, you know... There are a lot of movies that I saw as a kid that I have no interest in watching now, that they really were of a time that, you know, I enjoyed that when I was six, and that time has passed. And The Wizard of Oz is not one of those movies. It is a movie that somehow, you know, I can enjoy it as much now as a grown-up as I did when I was a kid. And I see, you know, I see things in it. I I feel like there there are layers to it that I understand more now. You know, um, Judy Garland's "Over the Rainbow" is heartbreaking. It really is. Uh, when I was a kid, to me, it was sort of I don't want to say boring, but to me, I wanted to get to Oz. You know it was a little slow uh-huh. for me as a child. I wanted to get to eyes and see all the colors, and now it's just oh <laughs> you know that song is just so um it's just it's everything, and it almost was not in the movie.
1: I know I don't, can you imagine them- what it would be like without it, it would be just kind of mediocre it really I don't would be. Because of what the song says and the philosophy of it, I don't think it would have been the same movie. It would have been as influential as it is without that song. I
0: agree. And I thought, getting back to sort of the differences between the book and the movie, um, and maybe you can tell me if this is correct. I feel like I read that the, so the, the, the shoes, Dorothy's shoes in the book are silver. But they're yes, but, they are. but they're red in the movie and I feel like I learned that they made them red because of the Technicolor. That silver oh, just absolutely. wouldn't silver wouldn't be as impressive uh, in Technicolor as red ruby slippers.
1: I think you're right. Now, did you hear about the slippers that they had at the Judy Garland Museum? No. Well, a Uh, A few years ago, someone broke in and stole them. I did hear that. I
0: did hear that. Yes. Yeah,
1: and they were recently found. I guess the FBI had to search for them. Because when I went to the museum, um, they had a pair that someone had made for them that they were loafers. And you're sitting there going, you're looking at them and going, I don't think they were loafers. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. Not penny loafers, not a... Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, they weren't loafers. Uh, definitely,
1: definitely not. Uh, uh,
0: I, do, I do think I, because um, there are about three or four pairs of them. Uh, you uh, think there were seven altogether. Seven altogether. So I believe that um, the director, Martin Scorsese, owns a pair. I'm sorry, what? Uh, I'm saying, I believe that the director, Martin Scorsese, owns a pair of them.
1: Yes, Debbie Reynolds had a pair in her collection, and there's a pair at the Smithsonian. I
0: saw the pair at the Smithsonian many years yeah. ago. Yeah, that's probably the pair that most people have seen. Um, I think you're right. And I remember I remember seeing um, her dress, Dorothy, Dorothy slash Judy dress, yeah. The gingham, the gingham, dress, the gingham yeah. dress, the iconic. I mean, that has to be one of, if not the most iconic dress in film history. Um, Absolutely. And it was so tiny. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, I know. Gosh. You know, she was one. She was yeah, she I was... mean, I was a teenager when I saw it, and I was too big for it. <laughs> God. I mean, it looked like, it really did look like a little girl's dress, and she was older, she was actually older than the character. Oh yeah, she was 16
1: when they made the movie.
0: Yeah, and I and I read that they she actually was, you know, had gone through puberty or was going through puberty, and they actually had to like tape down her chest because it was yes she was, yes, I think, she looks
1: yes. like a 16 year old. Well, and the thing is the same year she's in Babes in, Babes in Arms with Vicki Rooney and she's wearing eels. And it's a, 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 she's playing basically a little more mature character than Dorothy mm-hmm. the same year. And that's fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, she definitely... Um, well, it's interesting because Shirley Temple was initially going to do it.
1: Yes, they were originally going to do it with her, and they were going to trade Harlow and Gable to 20th Century Fox. And then Harlow died, and the deal fell through. And the interesting thing is that once they started filming Wizard of Oz, Fox decided they needed a competition film, and that's why Shirley Temple made The Little Princess. Which is a cute movie. Oh, I think it's her best film. It's it's next to Heidi. Yes. I think it's a lovely, lovely film. Uh, uh, but Shirley is no Judy. <laughs> She's no Judy, and she wouldn't have been that interesting in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's yeah. really not a Shirley Temple role. Um,
0: so so, what were the kids, uh, what was their general reaction? Did they love it?
1: Did they have questions about it? Or? They had questions, which was terrific. Unfortunately, I had two or three books on the movie at the time, and I was able to answer a lot of their questions. And if I didn't know immediately, I would just say, let me look that up, and I would get back to them on it. And they were just fascinated. Um I think they came to understand what it's like to make a movie in my class because I would sometimes do things where I would stop it and say, Okay, how do you think they did this or something? Mm -hmm. Like when the house falls on Buster Keaton and Steamboat Bill Jr., you know, and he's standing up and the house is all around him. Right, right. Uh, And little things like that. Uh, Because fortunately, you know, over the years there's been interviews with margaret hamilton i remember she was on some talk show and she talked about how she was on the pipe that was creating the smoke for the broom and she was thrown and had whiplash oh she was tortured
0: through that movie
1: oh my god she spent some time in the hospital because her face was burned when the fire came up from the from the uh thing that took her down under the stage and she burned her hands because nobody had bothered to wrap the pipe in anything uh so that she touched it and burned her hands and And the paint affected her that green paint affected her as well the green paint affected her in fact buddy ebsen was supposed to play the tin man and he was allergic to the paint so he couldn't do it
0: right right and then uh, jack haley took over for him
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Uh yeah, no, they all they all sort of went through their own issues with that physical uh and emotional issues with that oh, the production of that movie. Uh, Absolutely. So I I I hope that they know it was worth it.
1: <laughs> oh, I think they all realized it. And, I think and over the years because it is so beloved I think they all came to really accept it. I think the the only
0: sort of bad thing for Wizard of Oz, I don't know if bad is really the right word, but it came out in nineteen thirty nine, which is widely considered one of the greatest years of film ever. Absolutely. And it and it's like if it had come out in any other year, it would have been a major standout and probably would have swept the Oscars. But it came Absolutely. out the same year as Gone with the Wind and Mr. Young Mr. Lincoln and Stagecoach and, and The Women. I mean, it was like it, the fact that it won anything at the Oscars shows how great it was, e- you know, uh, even at the time. Judy Garland received a special award.
1: Yes, she uh, did. for her
0: performance, and I believe, uh, over the rainbow, won.
1: Yes, I believe it won best song.
0: Yes, yes. Um, Which makes sense. Yes, yes. Uh, so that's definitely it was. It was one movie. We're going to talk about three movies, and it's one movie I actually didn't rewatch, um, only because. I have seen it so many times. I'm like that girl who was sitting next to you at the student union. I could
1: recite it backwards and forwards. Um, I do want to say that if you do ever go up to Cedar Rapids, Minnesota, to the Judy Garland Museum, it is the house that she was born in. It's no longer in the town. It's been moved just outside of town. They built a museum next to it. But they have one of the test dresses. And they have a strange pair of shoes that aren't ruby slippers, but they're they're uh, like elk shoes. They have a Winky costume and a Winky weapon. Really? And then they have yeah, and then they have the um, they have the muff and coat that Margaret O'Brien wore in Meet Me in St. Louis. And they have some other things. They have the carriage from the horse of a different color. And oh and i love
0: the horse of a different color that was one yes. of my favorite sort of you know one Absolutely. one or two scene characters was that horse of a different color
1: yes and the thing about this 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 um carriage is that it's the same carriage that benny davis rode in jezebel
0: no yes
1: yeah. and it was uh, it, the carriage is very old lincoln road which
0: Actually President Lincoln.
1: Yes. Wow. Oh. No, wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's just sitting in the corner. And uh an interesting thing too is when you go in the house, there's a sign on the door to the basement or probably the root cellar that says that Mrs. Gale was or Mrs. scale <laughs> Gale. Yeah. Mrs. Um oh uh the, the mother was afraid of tornadoes, and so at one time she and I don't think the father was home, but the three girls had to go down into the basement because of a tornado. And I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: That is interesting. So, so, so Judy Garland lived through one.
1: I'm sorry, Judy, what? So, so yeah, she, she lived, lived through, through a,
0: t- a tornado. She she was maybe doing method. Yeah, you know, she was
1: probably, because she only lived in Cedar Rapids until she was two.
0: Okay, And then they
1: moved to California. Um, And and I guess we should
0: say that at that time, she was not yet Judy Garland. Her last name was Gum. Yeah, Uh,
1: Ethel, uh, Ethel Francis Gum, or Francis Ethel Gum. And when, uh, but they're very, very proud of her. Liza has been there, and uh, Lorna's been there for um, the uh, Judy Garland days. Her daughters, Liza Minnelli and Lorna Luft. Yes, and you can go into the city, and it's boarded up now. But the theater where she made, where apparently she walked on stage during a performance and sang, I think Jingle Bells. You can see where the stage door was. And it's a shame that the theater is boarded up. Now, it's been some years since I've been there, but it's made it focus. And I thought it was kind of interesting, too, This, this is the theater where Judy Garland first performed.
0: That's wonderful.
1: Now, it really you, is.
0: you mentioned it earlier, and so this is the next movie we're moving into, is uh, Meet Me in St. Louis from 1944. Yes. It's a little bit older, Judy Garland, and she plays uh, Esther Smith, the the third child out of five of the Smith family, uh, set around 1904, turn of the century, and it's Uh basically a year in the life of this family.
1: And isn't it a beautiful film?
0: You know, this was a movie um, that, because there are so many kids of different ages, it was a movie that I enjoyed at different ages because I could relate to di- to different siblings. Absolutely. You know, when I was really little, I uh, related to Tootie. I was so scared during that Halloween sequence where she goes. To- <laughs> oh, I felt her terror going up that, going down the road to the to the house at the. Oh, that was, and then you know, you get older and. Everyone has crushes, and you always have a crush on someone who doesn't know you exist. And so, The Boy Next Door uh, became Mm. much more relevant. And it's just a wonderful movie. Now, do you, this was another movie that you you showed to children, correct? Oh, very, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I knew they would love it.
0: And why? What about it did you know that they would love?
1: Well, most of my students had no concept of life pre-Nintendo. They had no idea that, for example, 90 miles from Minneapolis is, um, is Pepin, Wisconsin, and that you can go down there and you can actually go to the land. It's not the real little house, but it is based on the design. And you can actually go to where Laura Ingalls Wilder grew up and that that this is all part of history. And I wanted them to see a film about what children did before television, before radio, before right. video games, and how did they entertain themselves. And I think you get that in this film.
0: You really do. It's, it's, it's about as much a slice of Americana as there oh, could absolutely. be. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think it was, you know, I don't think that it's an accident that it came out during World War II?
1: Not at all. Not at all. They needed something lighthearted. We were looking for lighthearted films at that time. Also, something to uh, realize is that even though Esther's 17, Judy was 22, and she had already been married and divorced to David Rose, and then she married Vincent Minnelli. Right.
0: Right, she and met him on that during that movie, didn't she? During that film, yes. Yes, uh, and I think it's her. She's at her most beautiful.
1: Oh, unquestionably. In Have that you know, movie. did you did you notice that she until the last scene at the Christmas party, when she wears the red dress through the whole movie, she's in blue. Yes. All of her costumes. Yes. yes. And and Lucille Bremer, who plays Rose, is in Shades of Yellow. Yes,
0: yes. And then in
1: the par- party scene wears green. I think that was one of the most fascinating things about it, because you realize that those colors said something about those characters.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, you know, it's funny, I... I didn't I think I must have noticed it on a, on an unconscious level because as soon as you said it I could see every costume and yes they are they are all blue. Um, and
1: that's Adrian's doing. Adrian was a really was a remarkable designer and knew how to dress the dress especially dress women.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you know, I love Mary Astor in that movie because and I, the, I just think ahead. she's sort of against type.
1: Yes, very you know, much. You know, you sort so. of
0: think of her as, you know, Maltese Falcon, or, you know, just sort of more of a a hard hard-nails type of character, and here she's so lovely as the mother.
1: Well, she had gone through a scandal, uh, five or six years earlier. Um, she had uh, she had written a diary and kept a diary and wrote in purple about her affair with the playwright George S. Kaufman and she was married to a husband and it, it created a custody battle over its child and she had sort of been blacklisted in a way and her in her comeback after playing Maltese Falcon she accepted a lot of mother roles and that was a good thing cuz she rebuilt her career and after 5 years after Meet Me in St. Louis she plays Marmy in the nineteen forty nine, Little Women.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And then she plays the mother, the the, the domineering mother in Peyton Place. And yes. uh, her last role, I believe, was in Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, which is a uh, uh, you know Betty Davis. And Olivia yeah, de I saw horizontal. that.
0: I saw that movie, and it traumatized me. I, I was I had nightmares about that movie for weeks mm. afterwards. The very it's beginning. Haunting, isn't it? it is yeah, It is haunting. The, it's just yeah, the very first scene of that movie stayed with me.
1: Oh yeah. Now, next time you see it, notice that when her cousin arrives, the woman in the car is Joan Crawford, but the woman who gets out of the car is Olivia de Havilland. Interesting. Oh, now I gotta go she, watch it. Because Joan was supposed to play the part, and then because of the of the trouble she had with working with Betty Davis in uh, uh, Baby Jane, uh, she created all sorts of medical problems for herself. And uh, whether they were true or not, we you know it's a, it's all hearsay. But nonetheless, Olivia replaced Joan Crawford in that film.
0: And I'm so happy that she did.
1: Oh, my God, yes. The two of them are marvelous in that.
0: They really are. Um, So, meet me in St. Louis. What do you love about this movie?
1: I love the music. I think the music is fabulous. I think the trolley song is Judy at her freshest. She is obviously very happy, because you can tell she's in love, and it just the original movie was supposed to be a thriller, a mystery. And then they realized realized that that would be wrong that they needed to create this piece of Americana. And it's just such a refreshing film and the fact that the big tragedy of the picture, the big problem with the picture is the family's going to have to move to New York and maybe come back to see the World's Fair. It's, you know, that's that's the big conflict in the film but and all the characters like you said all the people are beautifully realized yes they're 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 fully fleshed out they're not just oh i'm gonna say these lines and you can see what kind of lives these people have
0: and that's not easy to do with that many characters i mean it's a large it's five kids and and the parents and the and the maid and you really and the grandfather yes and, and you really do, at the end, feel like you know these
1: people. Absolutely. Now, for example, the grandfather is also the doctor that won't allow, won't go with Scarlet to birth Melanie's baby in Gone with Wind. So he was, he was, busy. He was busy? He was busy. He was a working actor quite a bit. You'll see him in lots of movies at MGM. And then, of course, Marjorie Main. Yes who five years late earlier was in the women, and then we'd go on to make the Monopah Ma kettle movies is as delightful as the maid
0: yes, no i I really do um all those characters are just they're just, you know it's like it's just fun, you know there's nothing there's nothing there's no hidden agenda, there's nothing mysterious, there's nothing you know that you have to really uncover. Um, no. It's just pure fun and and I think that it's enjoyable. I mean, again, like The Wizard of Oz, uh, it's a movie that I saw as a kid and and my mom and I watched it almost every year around Christmas. and I'm not even sure why we sort of think of it as a Christmas movie because it takes mm-hmm. place throughout the year. It does you know, and the ending is Christmas. Um, but it has sort of, because, because Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, uh, you know, both in Wizard of Oz and Meet Me in St. Louis, Judy has, like, a signature song. And yes. while I agree with you that the Trolley song is wonderful, and I love that song, uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was really the standout of that yes, movie. It, is. it and, really is. And it was, you know, I don't... I I can't say for certain, but I don't feel like a lot of movies at that time had songs that went on to play on the radio. Uh
1: Uh-huh. And Uh that was
0: one, and again, that was one that was not going to be in the the movie.
1: Yes, isn't that something? We're going to cut that. Uh, and And I think that, if I'm correct,
0: I feel like Judy kind of fought for it.
1: Yes, yes
0: that she sort of, she actually recognized how good it was and that it, you know, and it sort of became a, 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 an anthem of sorts for, for soldiers overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. You know, that they would come home. Um, and so it's sort of become a, a, a Christmas movie because of that. And I, I still, to this day, I may not watch it every Christmas, but at least every other
1: uh, oh, it's a, it's one of those movies that is such a pleasure to watch. It really it is. Never, it never grows old. It never grows tired. It's just so beautifully made.
0: It really is, and and as we've said, the the outfits are just. That was the first thing, even as a kid, that I noticed where the dresses and the outfits were just beautiful. I mean, I just thought I wanna, I wanna wear that, <laughs> you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't too keen on the corsets, but, 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 and I can remember, you know, thinking, why were they doing that
1: to themselves? Well, and that's interesting because when they did that scene, a lot of the kids asked what it was and why, and it, it was, I, I explained it to them and I explained how many women broke ribs and broke bones because of this. Um, in, in Little House in the Big Woods, it talks about how Pa Ingalls was able to span Ma's, corset, Ma's waist with his hands. And now my hands aren't that big, but I, so I moved them away, but I went, that's dangerously thin. Yes. And, and a lot of women, you know, to, that's why they created fainting pouches. And uh, that led me to do research on Amelia Jenks Bloomer, and so she became the top one of the topics during Women's History Month. And who she is created, she? She created bloomers, which were like well pantaloon type of things, right? Right. But they, but they freed women from the tortures of the corset.
0: Oh well, then she's my hero.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's... So.
0: Th- yeah. That
1: really made a difference to women, and they they started wearing bloomers instead of corsets. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I I I could definitely go for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: but but I must say, for all the pain, you do look good. Oh yeah, it, it does oh, give you it does give you a, a you know it may be an unnatural look, but it's definitely. Uh, you do look nice. I can see why you know. I can see why they would want to wear it. But the pain of it all. Oh gosh, I mean yeah, that whole scene imagine? where she's like, "Breathe, <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> take a deep breath to tighten it." Oh
1: gosh. And, and yet, I met a singer who has since retired, but she did a show at the Guthrie when I worked there, and Dame uh, Joan Morris, and she said that because she recorded a lot of old songs. And one of them w- was an album of songs from the period, and she sings Meet Me in St. Louis, Louis. And she said she always dressed up in the era, and she said she'd wear a corset because the corset made you stand a certain way and made you breathe a certain way that was right for those songs. Interesting. Interesting. Isn't that something? Yes. And, wow. and I, I got to meet Margaret O'Brien, in 1989, a book came out called Directed by Vincent Minnelli. And she came to Minneapolis for a screening of Meet Me in St. Louis. She was absolutely lovely. She looks like she could be Elizabeth Taylor's sister. Oh, wow. And um, I just recently read that she is, she's I think, 81, and she's making another movie.
0: No way. After,
1: after years of retirement, it might not be a big role, but at least she's working again, and it's like good,
0: yeah, good for you. Wow, that's wonderful!
1: Isn't that wonderful? Uh, I'm so thrilled. I and I Margaret O'Brien was is.
0: Tootie, correct? She was Tootie. She was the youngest daughter of the Smiths, the Smith yes. family, and she has, um, really one of the most emotional scenes in the movie. Oh my God! I yes. mean, she has a breakdown that you would think. She has to be a, you know, a seasoned actress, which she was by that point, actually, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to to have that scene. I mean, it was on a, you know, it's a type of moment that you would think an adult would have.
1: Absolutely, uh, and what a beautiful scene because it triggers the climax of the picture.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a wonderful scene, and I, and if I recall. I feel like I've heard her talk about it and say that there was like a a a competition among you know between her and other child actresses of the time. Uh, I think it maybe even Elizabeth Taylor was mentioned, and it was like the director basically goaded her to say, you know. Like Elizabeth Taylor could do this. You know, it was like made her try to make her feel bad to say another little girl could actress could do this to to really sort of spur her on to this emotional breakdown. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I know that they did that with Jackie Cooper. They told him that his dog had died and that he in I think it's the champ, he puts out that beautiful crying scene.
0: Yes. Uh, it's awful to to manipulate children that way, but uh, oh, but, but it's but Hollywood it and it worked. Yeah. Um, so meet me in St. Louis. What um, what you said the kids had 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 questions about it. What were some of the questions that they asked?
1: Well, besides wanting to know about the course, that they asked why they. They weren't playing baseball or uh, the Halloween scene especially. Why were they doing things that way? And so I had to explain to them that that they didn't do trick-or-treating, that Halloween wasn't really even a a holiday of any sort until probably maybe 10 years earlier, and this is what the kids did to create their own fun. And uh, that interested them. Yeah. Because you know, all they know is you go put on a costume and you go out and ask for candy. Or, right. as I got older with my teaching. We would have a party, and we couldn't have Halloween, so we we had a a, a fall harvest dance and
0: right. things
1: like that. But they didn't understand that this is that some of the things that are commonplace to them didn't occur back then.
0: And it's interesting that they asked why they didn't play baseball because I thought because I would think well. They girls, and it was gender issues where guidelines were okay. much more strict then girls would not have played baseball.
1: No, no, they would not have. They would be expected to to um, maybe do some sewing and yeah. they might play like a board game of some sort or a card game, but no, you didn't do that at that particular point in time.
0: And And their brother was a little well, he was like a college guy. Um yeah, yeah. so he was a little older, he wouldn't have been playing
1: baseball anyway. Um, no, he, no. May have he was as much more interested in his pipe and he was much more interested in being a man. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh no, it's 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 very interesting and I I I must say one of my favorite scenes in that movie is the phone call.
1: Oh yes, isn't that one, a wonderful scene? Yes. And oh.
0: because I feel like it's relatable in so many levels, um, because I can remember being a teen girl and getting a phone call during dinner, and my dad having a very similar look on his face, <laughs> <laughs> you know, of, um, now... I was younger, and I certainly, you know, that, and I wonder if the kids thought of this, because when I was a kid, I remember thinking, these girls were so young to be getting married. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, they were, what, 16 and 18, maybe? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, Esther is 17, and I'm I'm thinking that, that, um, uh, Rose is about 18. Yeah. Maybe 19. Um, Which,
0: you know, in this day and age, we would think that is way too young. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But at that time, that was normal.
1: Unquestionably, yes. Uh, It wasn't like they were going to go to college. Well, not at that time, because it wasn't a common practice for women to go to college. It was expected for the man to do that but then again a, a woman could get it could be a teacher but she wasn't expected to have classes on how to be a teacher at the time she just w- went into the classroom and taught
0: uh, which is a little
1: interesting you would think you'd want to teach your teachers how to exactly. teach exactly <laughs> exactly i went to when i was in when i was a, a, a freshman i took a summer course and one of the people in there was a teacher who said that when she had started teaching, it wasn't required to take these classes. Now, all of a sudden, she had to make up for it. So she was taking a summer class in speech. Uh,
0: and this, and is, this is the early 70s. Yeah, I was going to say, and that's not 1904. That's, you know. No, no. Um, so even into the 70s, that women weren't. <laughs> wow. Uh, so well, she, she must
1: have been teaching in the 60s. Oh, absolutely. But then again, think I, I went to Catholic grade school and the nuns never were taught how to teach. The nuns were just sent to a classroom, given a curriculum, and that's what you did.
0: Wow. Um, yeah,
1: exactly. Uh,
0: so the, the third movie we're going to talk about is Gigi. And you say oh. this is your all time favorite movie musical.
1: Uh, Absolutely.
0: Now, Gigi, Gigi is um, Leslie Caron, and Maurice Chevalier. Uh, it's Louis Jordan, and Hermione Gingold, who I love, and it's uh, 1958. So it's a yeah. few years after the other two, and uh-huh. it's basically. Uh, Louis Jordan plays a playboy who, uh, al- the ultimate conflict, I su- guess you could say, is he has to choose between li- con- continuing on with his playboy life and sort of becoming Maurice Chevalier mm-hmm. or settling down with Gigi. And, yes. and Gigi is... Uh, is an interesting girl ca- girl character. She's basically being trained to be a courtesan.
1: Yes, she is. Which is because that's the tradition of her family.
0: And that's basically a fancy prostitute.
1: Yes, basically. I mean that's
0: like a high class prostitute. And uh-huh. and I have to say that this was the one I I rewatched because it really had been a very long time since I'd seen it. And it wasn't one that I had, it wasn't a movie that I really connected to as much as a kid, And but I have to say, I loved it this time around, Rewatching yes. it this time around. And I think as I was re-watching it, I thought, at least for me, I had to be a little older. I had to be uh-huh. older to really enjoy it and appreciate it. Um, oh yeah, this is not a film I would show to kids. It's not. It's it's more complex. Um, it's it's not even that the plot itself is complex, but the ideas uh, in it are are a bit more complex. And oh, much,
1: very much so. And
0: you really deal much more with adult themes, even though in all three movies there's a young girl at the center. Um, Gigi is really not, where you could say Wizard of Oz and Meet Me in St. Louis are kids' films slash family films. Gigi is much more of, a, of an adult film.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, so what do you love about Gigi?
1: Oh, it was shot in Paris. It makes Paris look so beautiful. The only other movie that I've seen set in Paris that makes it look as beautiful as Gigi is funny face. Yes. Um, the music is by Lerner and Lowe fresh off my fair lady. The actors are brilliantly cast. The only thing was that the original Gigi was Audrey Hepburn. Colette actually met her, uh, I think, at the docks and said, that's my Gigi. And the only reason Audrey turned it down was because she was making, I think, um Green Mansions or something, and she was committed to that project, so she couldn't. Also, she was married to Mel Ferrer, who was something of a Svengali with her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that he was, a, he was asked to shoot in Maxine. He was allowed to, to go in there and actually film, and it hadn't been open since the war. Uh, Cecil Beaton did the clothes, and they're so gorgeous. Yes. And it's just such a lovely, lovely thing. And the thing about, one of the things I love about Vincent Manelli is that he is so into art. And there's a painting by Mary Cassatt, and the wallpaper in Mamita's apartment resembles the Cassatt painting. And I just... think Little things like that add up to a lot. And it is just... It's a beautiful, emotional film. You get a very strong sense of La Belle Uh Ava Gabor has a lovely little role in it. Yes. Is as lovely as Aunt Alicia. Um. Kind of interesting is that when the carriage arrives in front of her apart, what is her apartment? That's actually the Ritz Hotel. Oh, okay. And just the like when you watch the geography, uh, when he, like they're they're doing uh, it's a bore. You can't drive underneath the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, and they do. Now, maybe that happened. Maybe you could do that in 1900, but you certainly can't anymore. And, uh, like, he'll, he goes from the uh, Luxembourg Gardens to uh, Place de la Concorde. It's like he stepped from one street to another, whereas they're miles and miles away. So well, up. you know, it's interesting because I, in a
0: previous episode that is going to air next week, um I talked with someone uh, about a similar th- topic in that filming in cities that are, you know, when you are specifically filming in Paris or New York or Detroit, that camera people and directors have a way of shooting things where if you're not from that city, you don't know where you are or what, that they can fool you and and uh, that, Something like that where you would, you know, you walk from one place to the next and it's across the street, but they're really across town. You know, unless you live in Paris or you've visited Paris enough to where you know that, you know, the average viewer is not going to know
1: that. Absolutely. Um, Like, for example, the scene where um, Ava Gabor is skating and and Louis Jourdan takes Gigi just to see it. Actually, the place was very run down, and they technically renovated it for the movie. And then they had hired an actor to skate with her, and he apparently, they didn't have any chemistry, it didn't work, so they hired Jacques Bergerac, and he couldn't skate. <laughs> so when you see the scene, he's actually walking on the ice while Eva Gabor is skating.
0: That's funny. Well, you know, it's a little better than what they did with um, the bishop's wife. Oh yeah, With that whole scene of Cary Grant, and Loretta Lynn, Loretta Young. I don't know, Loretta Lynn, Loretta <laughs> Young. Um, ice skating, and it's clearly like Olympic skaters. I mean, it's it's two people who look nothing like them beyond having dark hair. Right.
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. Uh, uh, and you thought, well, you could have tried a little bit harder. <laughs> to, to mask yeah. that those are two different people, but um, but that's interesting. No, she is definitely um, one that I think I will be rewatching again before too long because I I really I really enjoyed it a lot more as a as a grown up, um, and I I mentioned this to you earlier, and I just wanted to ask you a little bit about it further. I had mentioned that in this. Uh, you know, hashtag Me Too moment, movement, that uh, hearing Maurice Chevalier sing Thank Heaven for Little Girls was slightly disturbing. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, he he's, he's seems like, I think he's in his 60s maybe. Uh-huh,
1: you know, at absolutely. At the time.
0: Um, and, and you said that they did something, there was a production of it where they did something different with that.
1: Oh, yeah, Uh, in 2000, well, Gigi was adapted to the stage in the early 70s, but at the time, Alan J. Lerner was also writing the film version of The Little Prince, which if you've ever seen it, don't bother, it's terrible, (laughs) except Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse does The Snake in the Grass, and he's terrific in it, but it's not a very good film. And he was working on that, and then he was asked to adapt Gigi for the stage, And frankly, all he did is, except for writing four new songs that basically had nothing to do with the show, he basically took the screenplay and put it on stage. And it's not a terrible musical, but it could be a better musical. And then so about five years ago, this uh, woman whose name I'm sorry, I don't remember, uh, revised the show. She rewrote the libretto, and among other things, is she integrated the four songs that they had written for the stage into the script, so they actually worked. And instead of having Honoré sing "Thank uh, Heaven for Little Girls" at the beginning, he sang a song called "Paris Is Paris Again," which is a much more, much better, and more uh, appropriate opening number. And then uh, they they gave uh, Mamita and Aunt Alicia, thank heaven for little girls to sing. And that made a difference. And they also made Gigi 18 rather than 16, as she was, played by Leslie Caron. And uh, it was a much better script. Um, I'm not certain whether or not it's been licensed yet for performance. Mm-hmm. But hopefully it will, because when I was in New York, oh, golly, Five years ago, I think, I saw a revised edition of On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, and I liked it so much I saw it twice. Um, it was my niece's first Broadway show. She and I went together, and I, like I said, liked it so much I went back and saw it again. And that is not licensed for performance yet, and it's a shame because it's a wonderful script. But um, the thing about the movie with Chevalier opening it with that, it, it works because of the location where it was shot the bois de bouillon and the clothes yes because so much is going on behind him so many people are whizzing by but they're all in these fabulous Cecil Beaton designs yes yes so, so it's like I, I hear the song but I look at the people
0: right right it's just sort of like one element of an entire scene that's going on uh, absolutely and street life
1: Oh, yes.
0: Um, yes. And and I and you know, it's interesting because again, there's now it's not as it's not as um extreme as with Funny Face with Fred Astaire and and Audrey Hepburn where she he could mm-hmm. be her grandfather. But yes. But but um and I love that movie for many things, that is not one of them. Their relationship no, no, no. is just too weird. Um but but even in Gigi, you have a, a teen girl, a teenager, who mm-hmm. um, I, it seems like maybe a year goes, goes by in that movie.
1: Yes, um, I think so. Uh,
0: and Louis Jordan's character, Gaston, is at least 10 years older than she is.
1: Oh, my God, yes.
0: Um, I mean, at, and I'm giving him leeway, but he's at least 10 years older, and he has presumably watched her grow up.
1: Yes, they've been friends since she was a child.
0: And so, I, you know, that was something that I thought, what, you know, to a certain extent it's the acting, that you sort of forgive this, but you think, if this happened in real life, take out the whole courtesan, just... Oh you know a man who watches a girl grow up and then you know falls
1: for her um is a little creepy It is a little creepy, and there too you have to when you look at a movie like this and with a topic and a script like that, you have to look at it from the fact that it's the time that it was done and uh you can't change that movie. It's you know it's over and done with. Except for Leslie Caron, I think most of the cast is gone. But to look at it as a period piece, it, it's an incredible, exceptional film. Yes. And, yes. Uh, Vincent Manelli, Vincent Manelli and Cecil Beaton, both with that strong sense of design and the sense of the art of the period, it's all there, and it 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 just. It's a lovely celebration of Belle Époque. I don't think there's a better one.
0: Um, and I believe Cecil Beaton also did the, cl- the costumes for
1: My Fair Lady. He did for the film, not for the... St- well... For the film, yes. I don't yes. know if he did them for the stage or not, because I saw an exhibit of his work at the Museum of the City of New York, and I I thought- saw that as well. And remember, the centerpiece was opera costumes, yes. and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at them and going, wait a minute, where's where's the ascot dress? Yes, yes, that's
0: all That's all we wanted to see.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, I, I saw a Marilyn Monroe exhibit. It was in honor of her 90th birthday in Amsterdam a couple of years ago, and uh, they had, because she admired Harlow, they had the the dressing gown that Harlow wore in dinner at eight and because she Which is worked a lovely movie Kate. I have to say. Oh, I love that fabulous movie. Fabulous movie. And when and because she worked with Gable, they had the green drapery dress from Gone with the Wind. Which is my favorite of all the costumes, that's my favorite and I was so surprised because I thought, Why would this be in this exhibit? Yeah. But to, but to see that dress was just a great thrill. And
0: she was tiny too.
1: Oh, my God, yes. They had, they had the Subway dress from Seven Year Itch, and they had a dress she wore in How to Marry a Millionaire, and they had the Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend dress. And that's really all number. you need, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> but on the other hand, they also had her, copies of her shooting scripts. They had the fan from the Seven Year Itch. They had the leather jacket that Don Murray wore in Bus Stop and they had the footage of her singing Happy Birthday to President Kennedy. It was nice. a marvelous exhibit.
0: Nice, that sounds lovely.
1: Um, and that's why I, I don't understand why we don't have a Hollywood museum, you know, which Debbie Reynolds tried for decades to yeah, create. Yeah, Where Where is the Edith Head Museum? Where is the Cecil Beaton Museum? Where are those dresses? Yeah. Where are those costumes and props? They're really just
0: spread around, I mean, I'm sure the Smithsonian has a lot of them. Um, I feel like I feel like I heard a few years ago that the Academy of Arts and Sciences was trying to put something together, a sort of museum. They,
1: I had heard that too, but I don't know if anything's come of it. I'll have to look that up and george George Lucas has got you know as much money as he can possibly need and more. Is going to open a Star Wars museum in Chicago. Hello, you only worked with Debbie's daughter. You made her a star. Why don't you give Debbie some money and let her stuff be in a place, you know? But yeah. nope, nope. Debbie had to have a, had to have two auctions. That's a shame.
0: Yeah, and I I wonder where that stuff is now. Oh
1: yes, in private Hopefully, collections. Well, well, hopefully the museums will start doing something. We had an exhibit at Minneapolis Institute of Art a couple of years ago called uh, Italian Fashion. They had the Vespa, as well as the skirt and blouse Audrey Hepburn wore in Roman Holiday. Oh, that's fun. I had tears in my eyes because I never thought I'd get to see those things. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was a wonderful exhibit. Now, um, just getting
0: back to... Is Gigi... So... What age would you say would you show Gigi to? I mean, not little kids, but... No, I would say 15,
1: 16 maybe, but one of the things I would probably do first is teach the story, because it's a short story. By
0: Colette. By Colette. By
1: Colette. Yes, I would probably teach the short story, or at least discuss it, talk about... You know, read some passages and talk about it and also explain that this was the way of life for some women in that particular point in time. It, yeah, are, you know,
0: it's interesting that um, Audrey Hepburn was going to do it in the was, you know, the possibility of her doing the movie because she then goes on. Just a few years later, to do Breakfast at Tiffany's, which
1: is another kind of high-class yeah. prostitute Absolutely. as well. So. Absolutely, Holly Golightly is very much a character like that. Frankly, Madame Bovary is a character like that. Yes,
0: yes, you know, she is. It's,
1: she's not quite a courtesan, but she does have an affair with with and, and you know behind her husband's back, and look what she gets for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, these are all three just. Wonderful, wonderful movies, and I hear that um, I don't know what the date is. Where well, you can check, you know how TCM and Fathom connect, uh-huh. and they Wizard of Oz is going to be shown on Isn't the big
1: on the big screen. Um, I know. I I read. I saw the list because, uh, and I was thrilled because another film on that list is Hello Dolly, yes, which I will defend that movie to my death. Because I think it's a far better movie than people give it credit for being.
0: I do, too. I, you know, I've never had a problem with Walter Matthau. As far as no, I'm concerned, he's always made every movie better. He just, yes. he just, you know, that face and that sort of deadpan way that he has of delivering
1: lines. I well, find at hysterical. Time, at that time, he was the absolute right actor for the role of Horace Vandergelder. But people complain that Streisand was too young, but think about it. In the actual 1890s, life expectancy was about 40. Yeah. So a 26-year-old widow who's living hand-to-mouth would definitely go after a man who had money, who was probably 39, 40 years old. Right. Absolutely, because she wanted the
0: security. And she's had enough... Um you know, you wouldn't think of now as a 26-year-old as having a lot of life experience. But at that time, she did, and so it wouldn't have been, um, you know, out of the norm, I think, for her to uh, be a consultant for other girls, for younger girls. Absolutely. Because if you look at the the movie,
1: Marianne McAndrews, who plays Irene Malloy, looks older. But there, too, think about it. Dolly is a matchmaker and sort of a, a jewel of all trades. And and um, Irene Molloy runs a hat shop, so the yeah. women did have careers. Yes. They may not have liked them, but they had them. Yes,
0: yes, yes.
1: And and I think it's a beautiful movie. You know, you can see where the money went. And, yes. Uh, and, and it it almost sank 20th Century Fox, but still... I think it's a far better movie, and I think if you look at it now, um, it's a better movie as in terms of, of it, because you think of that life expectancy thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, no I, I thought... I, I, it, I, I was... That was a movie that... Um, when I saw it, I came into it with all of the negative press that it had received, mm-hmm. you know... And I enjoyed it far more than I thought I would because I went into it thinking, oh, everyone doesn't, you know, no one likes this movie or this isn't supposed to be a good movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the end, I thought, well, what was the problem with it? Really,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: You know, as singers go, you're not going to get better than Streisand. No. Uh, uh, You know, I just. There's maybe a little campy, a little cheesiness to it, but it's a musical. I think that sort of comes with the territory.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And at the time, they were making a lot of movie musicals with people who couldn't sing. Have you ever seen Paint Your Wagon? I've seen as much of it as I could. You can't, I mean, it's real interesting, because when I I did my articles last year for Minnesota Playlist on musicals that need revival, I talked about the fact that Lee Marvin actually had a hit song, uh, because his recording of Wandering Star was a big hit in England. But he warbles, he doesn't really sing, Clint Eastwood has a decent singing voice, but Lee Marvin warbles, but he had a big hit. And at the time, you know, they were doing that. They were casting people like, oh, Peter O'Toole did "Goodbye, Mr. Chips" and "Man of La Mancha." Yeah, yeah. And and you know, they were they were losing money right and left.
0: Camelot was also sort of in that vein oh. of people
1: who, you know, not really singers. No, except for Richard Harris, who wasn't a bad singer. But I saw him in 1981, right after he'd gotten out of rehab. And he had no business being on the road in a musical. He looked exhausted. Uh,
0: I, I think Hello, Dolly! suffered in part by or from the time that it was released. I think in 68, movie Hollywood was changing and movies mm-hmm. were changing and they were getting a little grittier. They were getting a little more... Um, I don't want to say real, but, you know, it's just uh, dealing with maybe more real issues. And I feel like Hello, Dolly! was sort of seen as a throwback to I a absolutely. different time from to the 40s and the 50s, you know, to a Meet Me in St. Louis or, or Gigi, you know, a, a big spectacle type musical that just, you know, I think if it had come out 10 years before, it would have done better
1: absolutely, it would have, and maybe no, I don't think Carol Channing would have done it because she wasn't uh she's not you know she was a glorious performer. I saw her do the show, but um she wasn't a Hollywood name, but there might have been someone else at the time, even Julie Andrews or someone like that, who yeah. would have taken the part, and it would have made a, it would have been a different show. Or they would have
0: gotten someone like a, not, not Audrey Hepburn, but they would have gotten someone, you know, who could act and then dubbed, dubbed the singing voice. Yeah. Like they did for Audrey and, I, and
1: My Fair Lady. Well, and I I think that's kind of a shame that they they made, they dubbed her. She has a lovely way. singing voice, actually. She has a lovely singing voice. If she could sing Gershwin, why couldn't she sing learning and Yeah, and,
0: and, and it, she may not have as strong a voice as Julie Andrews, but but I think she had a lovely singing voice. And they didn't I did need too. to they did not need to dub it as much as they did.
1: I went to the fiftieth anniversary screening of My Fair Lady and up to that point I was kinda of like, well, okay, Audrey Hepburn's playing Liza. And I finally realized that she's just fine in it. She's just fine. But they showed a documentary earlier and talked about that and had footage of her singing, and you're thinking, why did you not let her sing? Okay, maybe have Marnie Nixon sing the high notes for her, but why not let Audrey sing? And I think that was it, that finally I went, this is a perfectly fine performance.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it's one, that's one of my favorite musicals, I have to say.
1: Oh, I love. too.
0: I love My Fair Lady. It's just, uh, and I saw it... Um, Gosh, I saw that when I was a little kid, but I, I recently saw uh, uh, a sort of off, an off Broadway production of Pygmalion. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, this year. That Wonderful. Was, that was really nice. It was really, I really enjoyed it. Um, but My Fair Lady is just, it's one of those, well, you know, it it's kind of reminds me of Gigi a little yes. bit. It's sort of in more like Gigi than than Meet Me in St. Louis, um, uh-huh. and and it just I don't know I you know and here also you have Rex Harrison who again is not a singer he sort of no. talks through the you know I mean I, Audrey is a better singer than he is
1: yeah uh, but. But he created a style that a lot of other people used, like Robert Preston and Richard Burton. Yes. And that's just fine. And
0: Music Man is, I love Music Man, it, and I believe that it's my mom's favorite musical.
1: Oh, yeah. I it, just, it was just on the other day, and I watched it again.
0: Uh, and it's sort of like um, Meet Me in St. Louis, in terms of just being pure fun and pure Americana. I mean, that was one of the Iowa. favorite
1: movies my kids liked. They loved *Music Man*. They loved *The King and I*. Interesting. But they didn't. Yeah, but they didn't like *Brigadoon*.
0: Well, I can't fault them for that. I don't really love no, I *Brigadoon* can't either. either.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's lovely. I saw a gorgeous production at the Goodman a few years ago. Have you seen *The My Fair Lady* at Lincoln Center? I have not. I
0: wanted Go. to, but I have not. I've heard that it's wonderful. Um, someone else has taken over. Lauren Ambrose oh, yeah. is Laura, not doing Laura, it.
1: Oh, Laura Benati is going to be as good. She's fine as Liza. At, uh, Lauren Ambrose was lovely. You've got Rosemary Harris as Mrs. Higgins. Um, I don't remember who took over for the part of Doolittle, but it's a glorious production. Frankly, for no other reason, it's worth seeing to see the hat. <laughs> the ascot the Ascot hat is because the designer went in the opposite direction from Cecil Beaton and put Liza in black and white and put everyone else in colors, but the hat is just stupendous
0: oh my now i gotta see it
1: I definitely have plus to see it, it gives it gives the show an ending that you're go, you know you've always thought okay and um the ending. Is very very good. It ch- it changes the show, and it's a good good way of changing it because it's it's there's no dialogue. It's just the action. Um, that's good because that's definitely a movie
0: that it's one of those movies where you love the whole movie until the very end. Oh yeah, and the very oh yeah. end is always a, is always been a little
1: problematic. You know you well. Yeah, and the original play doesn't end that way. No. And so it's interesting that the, he changed it for the musical because they also changed it for the 38 film version. And the 38,
0: um, thats um, I believe it's Leslie Howard and Wendy Hiller?
1: Wendy Hiller, yep.
0: They are closer in age.
1: Very much so.
0: Than uh, Rex Harrison and Audrey Hepburn. And I feel like that... Um, was one of the issues. It's sort of that Fred Astaire, Audrey Hepburn. Again, Audrey's Absolutely. always paired with men who could be her father or grandfather. Um, right. But, you know, and I've never really understood why, you know, I understand why Rex Harrison was in it. I understand why they, they cast both of them, but at the same time, you think, if they had been a little closer in age, it just would have been that much more believable.
1: Absolutely. Well, Fred had retired and then decided not to retire. It was one of the projects they offered him, and he had done Funny Face with his sister as a stage musical, so he was the appropriate actor to ask, but there could have been an older actress, Dolores, well, no, not Dolores Gray, she would have been too too sharp, but Audrey was young and innocent, and it works. Yeah, yeah. You know, and she looks great in those Givenchy clothes. She does. She does.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I love the the story behind that. when she, because um, she first, she first did Givenchy and Sabrina. Yes. And, and they made an appointment for her, because at the time of Sabrina, Edith Head was the costumer for all those movies. And they didn't go with her because... They want. They said they wanted something more modern, more contemporary. Uh huh. And so Audrey, they made an appointment for Audrey at Givenchy in in, in uh, at his salon in Paris. Uh huh. Only he thought, because the the appointment was for Miss Hepburn, he was expecting Catherine. <laughs> and he had no idea who this other girl was. Mm. And she. And he basically he kind of blew her off and said, well, there are racks in the back that you can look at. And mm-hmm. she chose that black, um, the, the turban and the, the black fitted suit. Oh, yes. And and for that, you know, first scene when she's returning from Paris. And, uh, you know, Sabrina basically made... Not, not just Audrey, because she was sort of she was pretty much already a star, but that really cemented her. But it made Givenchy.
1: Oh, it certainly did. It certainly did. And he knew who but, she was after that. He, yes, he did. Huh. But now, do you, do you know that the black the the outfit she wears to sing sing in Breakfast at Tiffany's with the wide brimmed hat? Yes, the black hat and the with the white ribbon. That's not Givenchy. That's Edith Head. Really?
0: Well, maybe yes. Edith Head
1: had learned from
0: Sabrina and thought, and knew how well, to uh, upgrade.
1: I think so. Well, you know, and she, she, another movie I watched again last week was White Christmas, which is my very favorite Christmas movie. And you look at the way that the shoes match the stockings and the pants yes. on Danny Kaye. And that lovely thing that Rosemary Clooney wears with the brooch, the diamond brooch in the back.
0: Yes, yes. Those
1: incredible costumes in that.
0: Yes. No, Edith Head was a, was a really the top A game of, of costuming. Definitely, I. Uh, Absolutely. I read once that she, um, she basically gave Barbara Stanwyck her look. Oh yeah, and, and oh, yeah. said that of all those that she said that Barbara Stanwyck had no waist, and that she gave Barbara a waist by putting her in these high-waisted skirts.
1: And, oh yeah, and gave
0: her the illusion of having a waist by putting her in these long, high-waisted skirts. Some of those waists come right up to her chin, practically. <laughs> I mean, yes, they do. Uh. Uh. But it gave her a figure that she that she did not have out out of those clothes. Um, Isn't
1: that something?
0: You know the 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 magic that that the right skirt will do. Absolutely. Um. So, what would you say? Final words on Meet Me in me St. Louis, Wizard of Oz, and Gigi for people who haven't seen it.
1: Uh, what would you say? Well, to start with MGM. When I saw That's Entertainment, and I saw it when it came out, uh, Frank Sinatra says at the beginning of the movie that MGM made the best musicals, and he's not wrong. And if you were going to choose the top musicals of all time, I think Gigi, Meet Me in St. Louis, and The Wizard of Oz are definitely in that top five. Yes. Definitely. Because they're unsurpassed, they're remarkable films, uh, there's a wonderful wonderful scene later where Frank Sinatra has just, we've just seen the dancing uh, the tap dance challenge between Eleanor Powell and Fred Astaire from Broadway Melody of 1940. And he says, you can wait around, but you'll never see anything like this again. And he's absolutely right. That's why these movies live. Because these are movies that need to be seen again and again, and generation after generation. Because they bring so much joy to us. And it it really is joy because, you know, I know people
0: who are not into musicals, really, who love The Wizard of Oz. Absolutely. And I think that they don't even really think of it as a musical, even though it is. Um, And it's because there has to be a reason why, year after year, more and more people watch these movies and love them. And and that's not true of even Citizen Kane, you know, that's considered one of the greatest movies ever. There are a lot of great movies from the thirties and forties and fifties that are not, unfortunately, you know, watched with as much um, regularity as these movies. And so, absolutely, there's something about these movies that people keep coming back to and bringing their children and introducing them, you know, new generations to these movies. Uh, and and there's, there's just a magical quality.
1: Un- undoubtedly. I don't have cable, but I have a couple of stations that, sh- well, one is called movies, and every once in a while you'll turn the TV on and go, what's this? And it's a little gem that you've never heard of, and yeah. it's just always a pleasure to discover those films.
0: Yes, it really is. Well, thank you, Stephen. This has been a lovely discussion about musicals, one of my favorite genres. And uh, I just want to thank you for doing this. Thank you for listening to The Real Woman Podcast. Please join me next week when my guest will be Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, and we'll be talking about Michael Moore's film Fahrenheit 11.9. Thank you. Good night.